to Park Valley Church's Sermon of the Week. It doesn't matter if you have been a Christ follower for years or new to the Christian faith, you have come to the right place. Listen in as one of our campus pastors shares how to apply biblical truth in a tangible way. As you listen, we pray you have an encounter with Jesus that leads to real and lasting life change. You guys can have a seat. Thank you so much for being here today. Um, wanted to talk about David for just a few minutes and there's this verse over in Acts that gives us a couple of interesting things. Luke write, writes Acts. Luke writes two books of the Bible. He writes Luke, and he also writes the book of Acts. And um, basically what he gives us in Acts chapter 13, verses 35 and 36, is a couple things. Number one, he proves the resurrection of Jesus, which is incredible. Uh, the resurrection of Jesus is everything that our faith is founded on. Uh, the resurrection of Jesus proves a couple things. It proves that it vindicated every single solitary claim that Jesus Christ made to his enemies, the fact that he came back to life. It also shows the fact that life is in Jesus. And like in John chapter 1 and verse number 4, it says, in him is life and the life was the light of men. And so when you think about it, you know, a lot of times people think, wow, it's so amazing. Jesus rose from the dead. It's incredible. Really, the, the thing that's mind-blowing is the fact that Jesus laid his life down. That's what's mind-blowing. Not the fact that he was raised from the dead. That was a foregone conclusion. The reason for that is because life was in Jesus. There was no other choice but for him to come back to life. No other choice because life is in him. Jesus is kind of like those trick birthday candles. You know those things like on a cake and you blow it out and it just comes back? It's like, what's the deal here? It just keeps lighting back up. I snuffed it out, but it's lit again. Literally, that's Jesus. You can, he can willingly lay himself down, have his life snuffed out, but it's coming back uh, because the life is in him. And so all of these things were amazing that Luke brought up. But the cool thing, too, was that Luke gave us this very simple but strong uh, description of the life of King David in this one verse. And I want you to see it. He says in verse 35... Another psalm explains it more fully. He's referring to Psalm 16, which was a psalm of David. This is what David said. You know, what, what did David say or what did God say through David? He said, you will not allow your holy one to rot in the grave. And so basically a thousand years before Jesus was ever born, a thousand years, David was already writing about the Messiah, Jesus, who would come, who would die and who would be raised again from the dead. So it was a prophecy. You know, which is pretty awesome. And so basically, Luke is just kind of in, maybe in Hebrew, he's going, boom. I don't know what he's saying, but the bottom line is he's talking about the fact that it happened. Jesus Christ did uh, raise up from the dead. He wasn't, David wasn't talking about himself. Look at verse 36. He says, this is not a reference to David. And then it describes David. And I love the description. It says, for after David had done the will of God in his own generation, he died and was buried and with, buried with his ancestors and then his body decayed. That's always kind of cool. You know, his body decayed. Um, but I love what it said about David because it said that David had done. In other words, he, you know, with action performed the will of God. And it wasn't his own will, but it was God's will. There are many, many times in our life when I would rather do what Barry buries with. What do you do? I do berries with. You know, people don't walk around saying things like that, but we think things like that. We think, you know what? Back off. It's my life. 
I'll do what I want with my life. Okay? Got it? Capiche? You know, or whatever we say. No one says capiche. But we basically think those things. This is a man who had incredible power, incredible position, and yet he surrendered his will for the will of the Father. And he, with action, accomplished the will of God, but it doesn't stop there. It goes on to say that he did it in his own generation. And so David didn't see his life as a life that was to be lived for himself, but he saw it as, hey, God put me in the 20155 for a reason, right? I'm going to do something in Gainesville. I'm going to do something for the Father according to his will with my life, which is very short, for his glory in my generation. And it's a very kind of a short thing, but you know what? I kind of hope that's said about me. You know, I think that's what it's like to have a fulfilled life. I think that's what it's like to be able to accomplish something with your life. And obviously for us, it's totally connected to Jesus Christ, the risen Savior. Obviously, all of that is totally, totally you know, connected with him. So we put our faith in Jesus. He's the Son of God. It was proved by his resurrection. So now we're walking with God and we're serving our generation by doing his will. And then we die. You know, whatever. Uh, the bottom line is that's the best way to live your life. And it's crazy that God even wants us to be a part of his plan anyway. That God somehow wants to use me or you in a plan that he has that is worldwide. And, and it, it's mind-boggling to me. It's mind-boggling to me that God can take 8.1 billion people that are currently on this planet. And, and somehow through all of our relationships and all of our interactions and all the circumstances of our life and all of the choices that we make, somehow with his sovereignty, he orchestrates and weaves all of it together to accomplish his will for his glory. You know, don't ever for one second think that God ever for a second loses control of anything. He never loses control. He is sovereign. He is almighty. He is the most high. He is the only God that exists. There is only one God, and it is him. And he has all control. You know, we sit back and think, man, things are spinning out of control. God, you really messed up here. Never happens. It's impossible. You know, and so, you know, again, I want my very short life to count for him. And I think sometimes we kind of get, I don't know, lost in the details of that or stressed out about all the details of that. I think to myself, I've got to be in the right place at the right. I've got to create opportunities i got to make sure I'm doing this. Man, if I would have zigged instead of zagged, I'd have been the president of that company, you know, or whatever. And we get all caught up in the details of this. I don't think it's, I don't think it's difficult. I think it's simple. And the reason I say it's simple is because I just think God wants you wherever you are to be faithful to him. And when you serve him with obedience and faithfulness, guess what? I'll ask you this. How many of you think God has the power to find you? Yeah. He's got the power to find you. He will find you. And it is your job not to be in the right place at the right time. Your job is to, where you are, serve him. To be obedient to him and to be faithful to him. And then watch what he does. Watch how he, remember, he's in charge of it all. This is not hard for him to get you where you need to be. 
doing what he's called you to do. That is not a difficult thing. There is literally no reason to stress about it. Second Chronicles 16, 9 says this. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. That's basically the God of the universe saying this. I'm just looking for somebody that's going to be committed to me. I just want your whole heart. I don't care about all your talent. I don't care about your money. I don't care about your influence. I just want a heart. One that's totally committed to me. You let me strengthen you. And there's a lot of people that may sit here and say, hey, you know, I wish you would have told me that back in the 70s because my life is toast, you know, or whatever. I have totally ruined my life. I have so many mistakes and sins and garbage in my life. I don't think God could ever use me or that God would ever want to use me. Very interesting thing about that. And I, I thought about it because I looked up the word strengthen. You know, if I see that God is going to do something for a person who has a heart that's committed to him, I like digging into that word a little bit, diving into the Hebrew. What does it mean? Breaking it down, stuff like that. It's interesting. The word strengthened means to repair or to recover those. So God has the power through his strength for a person, even though there's sin in their past, a person who decides to commit their heart to him, God has the power to recover a life. God has the power to repair a broken life. And, you know, so I guess I'm just trying to say, you don't have any excuses. You're not off the hook. God wants to use you too. And every single solitary life is valuable to him. So, you know, there may be lives that live to be over 100 years old. There may be lives that live to be one year old. There may be, it's just totally different. God never loses control. Every single life is valuable. And God has a plan and a purpose for every single life that has ever been conceived in a womb. He has a plan for, for all of them. And so just know how incredibly valuable you are to this overall plan of God, you know, in the world. And again, don't get stressed out about when and where and how and blah, 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 blah. Well, you're where you are for a reason. So be faithful where you are. And we see that in the life of David. Three things from David's life. Number one, David's obedience in the process. You know, life is a process. Anybody there right now saying, yeah, life's a process. Anybody? Yeah. Okay. You're like, yeah, that's me. I'm in the middle of this process. You know, here, here's the bottom line. That's pretty much life. If you're sitting in a big office, driving a fancy car, living in a mansion, chances are it didn't start that way. Chances are you were in elementary school and middle school and high school and college and did some postgraduate work maybe and got an entry-level position at a job and worked for years and made faithful decisions with integrity and worked hard. And the next thing you know, hey, what do you know? I'm in a big office. And, you know, the intern comes in and looks around and says, man, you're lucky. You want to just get him in a headlock. (laughs) What are you talking about? I've been in a lifelong process to be in this seat, you know, but that's just the way it is. And it's crazy how, you know, God knows. It's interesting when the Bible says that when you humble yourself, God will what? Lift you up. But it doesn't just say lift you up. It says at the what? At the right what? At the right time, he will lift you up. God knows, God knows the best time to promote you because 
The bottom line is if you get out of the process too soon and get promoted too early, that could ruin your life. That could ruin you. And so what we see with David is this incredible faithfulness through this, through this process that was long. David was anointed king when he was 15 years old. And then that came out of the blue. He wasn't even at the anointing service. He was not even there. And, you know, but he was faithful where he was. And what did God do? God found him. God found him because God can find you. God knows exactly where you are. And I love it how he's gone through seven of Jesse's sons and none of them are king. And he finally asks him, do you have any more sons? Because I'm striking empty here. We're not, there's no pay dirt here. What's going on? Oh yeah, we got this one run of the litter. He's out watching sheep. We don't think much of him. Yeah, okay, get him. (laughs) David is ushered into this anointing process and he ends up being anointed king. And then what happens? God finds him in the middle of nowhere just being faithful. And then God begins to move into a process. What does he do? He comes away from Saul and he actually begins to torment him with with really an evil spirit. And you think that's awful. But yet that was a process too that was causing those two men's path to cross, David and Saul. Isn't it interesting how things just tended to happen? Just so happened that, you know, Saul loses it and starts freaking out. And one of the guys that's there says, you need some music. I know a really good musician. It just so happens that somebody, you know, there with Saul, when Saul freaks out, just so happens to know David And so then what does he do? He begins to connect them together. This is the way he describes David. 1 Samuel 16, 18 says, One of the servants said to Saul, He's Jesse's son. He's from Bethlehem. He's a talented harp player. The dude can flat play a harp. He's a brave warrior. He's a man of war. He has really good judgment. He is, and it says NLT, he is fine. He is fine looking. Not going to lie. He's young. But here's the best part. The Lord is with him. So he's all of that. And so I wasn't going to say it in the last service, and I didn't. But I'll say it in this service. So I was doing a wedding, and I asked this couple, I said, how did you all meet? And they said, we met on Hinge. And I said, Sorry, what is Hinge? He said, it's a dating app. I said, whatever. It's good. If you're on Hinge and you read somebody with this profile, <laughs> somebody told me out in the lobby, they said, just swipe right. Just swipe right. Just select yes. So he becomes Saul's personal musician and armor bearer. He ends up finding himself going back and forth and back and forth. He's serving Saul. He's serving Jesse, his dad. He's serving Saul. He's serving Jesse. But the crazy thing is, he's already been anointed king. So Jesse's like this. Watch the sheep. David's like this. Yes, sir. Jesse's like this. Go take this to your brothers and to their captain. David's like this. Yes, sir. Saul's like, play the harp. David's like, yes, sir. 
At no time does he ever look at anybody and say, you know what? There's a really good chance that you have rocks for brains. Because I've been anointed king. If you don't watch the way you talk to me, I'm going to cut your head off. How about that? Never one time ever said anything like it. He just was in the process. He just was faithful. He just was obedient. And it's amazing to me that, you know, not long after that, he finds himself in a field standing in front of a guy that's nine foot tall, getting ready to fight Goliath. He conquers Goliath, becomes a national hero. And by the time he's age 30, which was, if he was anointed a king at, say, 15 or maybe even younger, there was a chance that he was in this process for 15 years. Normally you think, okay, I'm anointed king. Where's my scepter? Where's my throne? You know? Oh, no, you're going to go into a 15-year process where we're going to expect you to be obedient and be humble and do what you're told, even though you've been anointed king. And that's exactly what he did. And, you know, always remember the power of consistency. David was consistent day in and day out. And, you know, you don't have beautiful teeth because you go to the dentist twice a year. If that's the only time you cleaned your teeth, you'd have no teeth. There'd be no reason to go to the dentist, right? I mean, you have really nice teeth because every single day you brush them. Twice a day, probably. Some people, maybe more. I'm a two-a-day guy. I'm a flosser. So a little bit of floss, a couple of brushings. All I'm saying is it's the consistent act of maintaining those teeth that keep your teeth in your head. I mean, you don't go to the gym one time and just shred yourself and go into the mirror and go... You don't do that. You'd be looking in the mirror saying, there's nothing there. I work so hard. You went to the gym one time. There's not going to be anything there. It's consistency. It's day in and day out. And the times when David was alone watching sheep, he was in a process, but God was preparing him for something that was so much greater. He was literally taking a shepherd who was watching sheep and transforming him into God's shepherd who would watch the sheep of the kingdom, all of his people, as king. You know, and so don't worry about being in the process and don't stress about being in the process. Just be faithful because God can find you. And I love, there's two verses of scripture I wanted to share with you real fast. Philippians 1, 6 and, and 1 Peter 5, 10. 1, 6 says... I actually have it in your notes and not my notes, which is weird. But it says, And I'm certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until, the, until it is faithfully finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. When the Bible says he will continue that work, think about that. He will continue the work. Look at the next verse real fast. They had popped it up. Thank you. In his kindness. I love this verse. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, I love putting kindness and suffering in the same sentence. It's amazing how, you know, God's still kind even though we suffer. He never changes. And then he goes on to say, so after you've suffered a little while, 
He will restore you. He will support you. He will strengthen you. He will place you on a firm foundation. And what's so cool about that, and I know virtually nothing about Greek, you know, or whatever, but three things. I was reading a book about it from another pastor, and he was bringing up some verses that say the three interesting things about the Greek in this are the word voice, the word tense, and the word mood. A lot of times we say that mood, right? Well, think of it this way when it comes to the Greek. Number one, it's in the active voice. If it's in the active voice, the subject of the verse is the one doing the action. Who's doing the action? The God of the universe. God is remaking you. God is doing a work in your life himself. He's not sending an angel to do it. He's doing it himself, literally in your life. And then it's in the future tense. So he's going to do it tomorrow and the, the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day. And he's not going to stop until he's done or until Jesus comes back is what he said in the verse. And the last thing is the whole thing is in what is called the indicative mood. The word indicative has nothing to do with wishing for anything or hoping for anything, but it states a fact. So what it says is this, the action is done by the actor who is God. He's doing this act in your life tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And he faithfully, consistently will not stop. And this is not something that you wish for or hope for. This is a fact. It's going to happen. God is going to do this work in this process, in your life, getting you ready for promotion so that you can be exactly where he wanted you to be in the first place. And I love those verses. When I read that, it was like, my mind was just like, wow. Sometimes you know how you're reading through a book and you're like, nah, 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 nah. I'm not learning anything in this. I'm wasting. And then all of a sudden you're like, <clears throat> I can't begin to stress how valuable you are to the call of God and to the fact that God wants to use you in his plan for your generation. So I would say don't lose heart. Keep serving people. Keep being faithful where you are and the Lord's going to find you. Second point really fast is David had courage to fight for God. Now, when I say that, I think that point is wrong. So let's change it. I'll just say David had the courage to fight. It's not like God is saying, David, I need you to fight for me. God doesn't need anybody to fight for him. If anybody's fighting, God's doing the fighting. If anybody has a battle, the battle is the Lord's. And if if anybody's going to be victorious, it's going to be him. So basically what it should be, it should be God saying to David, I'm fighting for you. And the battle that you're fighting is my battle. And you're going to end up being successful at it because I don't lose. You know, and so basically David had the courage to fight, but he did have the courage. A lot of times people think courage is something that comes from within. And so they think, you know what I need to do? I need to find a little place where I can get alone and I need to go muster up some courage deep from within. Courage tends to be external more than it is internal. Here's where you get courage. You will get courage when the relationships around you support you. The person that runs the marathon, they run that marathon because they know at the end there's a whole bunch of friends at the end going, Woo, come on, buddy, you got it, you got it, you got it, you got it. Let's go one more mile, one more mile. And you're like, yeah. You're starting to get courage because there's people outside of you externally in your, in your orbit or whatever encouraging you and believing in you. You know, you get, you get diagnosed with an illness 
and you think, man, I got to get alone and get some... No, people are coming around you, circling around you, saying, we're going to be with you through this fight. We're going to help you. We're going to be praying for you. And you're like... It's just they give you courage. Can you imagine what it was like for David to have as personal and a close relationship with the Lord, with the Father that he had? To be 15 years old and to have God the Father say, I believe in you and I see your potential and I want you to be my next king, to be anointed as king. That has to grow your courage to know that God thinks that of you. It has to grow your courage every time you're out just being faithful, just doing what your dad told you to do, and you're willing to lay your life down for sheep to fight a lion or to fight a bear. And God give them over to, into your hand every single time. And for you to use those instances when you're talking to your king saying this, hey, it's no big deal. <laughs> I like totally killed a lion. I don't think David was a valley person, but, you know, dude, like, I, I killed a bear. I killed a lion. I can kill this guy. God did it. Let's do this. And Saul's, Saul finally looks at David and says these words. Okay, go ahead. God be with you. Who says that to a kid? But he did. And he went down, and you know exactly what took place, but it just... It blows me away that he had that kind of courage. And I think it was born out of a relationship with God the Father who believed in him and had given him victory after victory in his life. Why? He learned all of that in a process. He needed that process before he walked down into a field. If, if he had been anointed king and the very next day was taking food to his brothers, he probably would have said, I'm not going down there. Are you crazy? That dude's nine foot tall. I'm out. I delivered my cheese. I'm gone. I've been obedient. But no, he had, went through, he had gone through a process and he had seen the faithfulness of God. And, you know, he has enough guts to say this. 1 Samuel 17, 45, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. That's a relationship. You got to understand the name is the essence of a person who that person is. He is El Shaddai. He is Elohim. He is Yahweh. He is Jehovah. He is El Elyon. All of these different things saying that he is almighty. He is the most high. He is the deliverer. He is the creator. He is a plurality. He is self-existent. He is all of these different things. And you have a javelin. This is not a fair fight, dude. I'm like representing the God Almighty, God Almighty, and you have a, a spear. So here we go. This is about to happen. You're going to see this happen right now. And it's crazy. He didn't mention the fact that he had a sling, but slings are very powerful. I started, there's a lot of, you, there's a lot of YouTube videos on slings, which is crazy. You're like, yeah, I'm totally into slings. No one's into slings in here. No one's going out, you know, doing slings. But there is this one dude on YouTube that does it. And wow. I mean, he like does all the math behind it and how it all works. And if you do it at a certain velocity, you can literally throw a rock 115 feet per second, which is between 78 and 80 miles per hour. And he did the, the, um, 
the penetration power of something like that. He said it has the exact same penetration power of a nine millimeter round out of a, out of a handgun. <laughs> and I can guarantee you David was deadly accurate with that because he was watching sheep and he was, <laughs> he was testing it out. Now I can guarantee you God put his hand on that rock and directed it right to that man's forehead. Okay. But God also had him in a process where he was preparing and planning and practicing and getting ready. So it was kind of like he walked out with a spear and goes, ho, 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 ho. And David comes out with a Glock 19 and just goes, boom. You ever seen that? I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that probably. Everybody's like, man, that's inappropriate. What are you talking about? You see, remember the scene, Indiana Jones? And the guy comes out with the sword, this massive guy, and Indiana goes, boom, and just walks away. It's kind of sort of like that. And anyway, it just took courage for him to go down there. It goes on to say, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled, this is who you're talking about. He says, this day the Lord will hand you over to me. I'm going to strike you down. I'm going to cut off your head. He didn't beat around the bush. He said, today I'm going to give all the carcasses of all the Philistine army to the birds. Uh, and the air, and the, um, I'm sorry, birds of the air, can't read. Birds of the air, beasts of the field, beasts of the earth. And the whole world will know. This is the part that's amazing. The whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. It was always about God. It was always about making God famous. It was always about, and David was going to have a considerable amount of fame as a result of this. But the fame was always directed to where it belonged. It was always directed to God. Hey, the whole world's going to know. And by the way, you may be facing a very large giant right now, but the larger the giant, the, the bigger the glory. The bigger the giant, the bigger the glory. Don't be afraid of a giant. Don't be afraid of a giant circumstance or a problem that you're facing right now. Because when that giant goes down, not if, but when that giant goes down, God's going to get a lot of glory in what you have done and the way you've lived your life. All those gathered will know in verse 47 that it is not a sword and it is not a spear that the Lord saves, uses to save. For the battle is the Lord's. He will give all of you into our hands. The battle is the Lord's. If you want courage in the battle, recognize whose battle it is. It's his battle. And it's for his glory. And all you're doing is this, being faithful in a situation where God is going to use you to carry out his will for his glory in your generation. The last thing I said was just that David was generous. When David was putting together the money to build the temple, the Bible says, I put it in your notes, in 1 Chronicles 29.3, David gave all of his earthly wealth, basically. All of his silver and all of his gold to the building of the temple. And I just think generosity is something that is so valuable. I was meeting with a couple yesterday morning and talking about it, and I said, generosity, they haven't gotten married yet, but they're going to get married soon. I said, generosity will pump life into your marriage. If you're struggling in your marriage right now, find something that you and your wife or you and your husband can do as generous as a generous act to somebody else. I guarantee you, you'll walk away from that act probably walking hand in hand going, that was awesome. Generosity is a powerful, powerful thing. And I don't know why, but 
for whatever reason, we trust God with our eternal destiny, but we don't trust him with our finances. There are people that will say, I can't tithe, man. Are you kidding me? I can't afford that. And I always tell people, really and truly, you can't afford not to. Because God always provides. And for you to get a front row seat to see that changes you. It changes you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a second? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, i got to tell you, it is literally the most important decision that you will ever make with your life. You don't get a very long life. You just don't. You're going to tick through all these seasons. Hey, man, uh, my education's over. Hey, man, my, my, I got my job. Hey, I got married. Hey, we had kids. Hey, my kids are grown and gone. Hey, I'm retired. Hey, I'm driving around the United States in a motorhome. You know, I'm telling you right now, you will blink and you will be in your motorhome. It goes by so fast. And so whatever you do in your very short life, make the most important decisions. The most important decision you'll ever make is your decision to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, to believe in him in the gospel. The gospel is simple but strong. It's simple because God came into our world. We offended him because we're sinners, and then he basically tapped us on the shoulder and said, I want to make up. We ought to look at him and say, what? You want to make up with me, and I'm the one that offended you. Yeah, that's right. So he meets us where we are and he doesn't come to rule and reign as a king. He comes to pay for sin because he said you will die if you sin. So what did he do? He died. And the blood that he shed is able to wash all of our sins away. So when you believe that Jesus died on the cross, was buried in a tomb and was raised from the dead three days later, he gives you eternal life, writes your name in the Lamb's book of life and he will give you a home in heaven. I'm telling you right now, It's all faith. It's all trust. The Bible literally says, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him as righteousness. You want to be righteous? Put your trust and faith in the Lord. There's no other way you can do it. So if you're here today and you've never accepted Christ, why don't you accept him now? You can whisper a little prayer right where you sit, something like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm sorry for my sin. I admit my sin and I pray that you would forgive me of my sin. I believe that you're doing that through Jesus, your son, that Jesus came to this earth. He died on the cross and three days later, he was raised from the dead to save me. Thank you for saving me. Help me to live my life for you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Lord, I want to thank you so much for everyone that's here right now. I want to thank you so much for the opportunity that we have, God, to be able to study your word, be together, worship you. I pray, God, that you would help us to be faithful in our generation where you have placed us. Help us, Lord, not to stress out about when and where and how. Help us just to be where we are, present where we are, and faithful to you. Willing to fight because we have courage courage from our relationship with you but willing to obey you no matter what. Your will, Lord, I pray. Thank you so much, Lord, for this opportunity. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to our Sermon of the Week. If you accepted Christ, 
want to accept Christ, or just want to see what Park Valley Church is about, you can email us at info at parkvalleychurch.com. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.